Let me go grab my coffee. I'm going you off too. Uh, maybe I won't. Yeah, that's fine. How you doing, man? Good. Mike, are you on right now? <clears throat> I'm not sure. I think I'm on this one, this Audio Technica. Is it not coming through good? Yeah, just tap the front of it for me real quick. Yeah, I think that's it. Sounds great. Okay. It's my new, let's see, my new setup. <clears throat> okay, Jason, I did not, I did not. Oh, you got a new setup? What new setup? I don't even well, know about this one. Oh, yeah. So, That's a nice mic. Them. You ready to enter the danger zone? Uh-oh. Did my camera not come back? It did not come back. It left you. You're done. There we go. There we go. <laughs> you ready? To I am ready to danger? enter the danger zone. Okay, this is not what I want to talk with you about. It's not what I was going to talk to you about at all. But it happened this morning. So. Oh. It's, this is some, yes. It's so I'm not going to tell you who it's from. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to read it. All right. You ready? I'm ready. But I think it has everything to do with our conversation today. I think, okay. I think, but it's like subversive. Okay. So 70 million innocent lives murdered, thousands of women raped, children molested, illegitimate children left to fend for themselves, physical mutilation, secularism. No. All done in the name of Christ during Christendom. Secularism is horrible, but Christendom is no better. Did you say so? That that didn't just happen. That is somebody wrote that. Somebody right, <laughs> Somebody just that's wrote what that just today. Happened. Okay, right. That's what just. That's the part that just happened. Yes. So okay. that didn't just happen. I'm just saying somebody tweeted that out today. Um, I'm not gonna tell you who. You're gonna find out later. You're just gonna. I just want you to. I just wonder what your thoughts are on it. I mean, is so they're saying that there's a larger context to this. I'm not explaining that. Yeah, is want me to just read it again? as bad as the current secular order. Christendom as it existed in the past. Secularism is horrible. Period. Right. But Christendom is no better. But they said the 70 million people were killed by Christendom? Yeah, 70 million innocent lives murdered, thousands of women raped, children molested. Um, what are I, they talking? Are they, do they think they're talking about the Crusades? I think that they're, I think, well, uh, if, here's what, two different readings for it. Here's two different readings for it. I think the 70 million innocent lives murdered, thousands of women raped, children molested, illegitimate children left to fend for themselves, physical mutilation, secularism, question mark? No. All done in the name of Christ during Christendom. So he's saying that this is not secularism he's writing about. He's actually writing that all of this right here that he just labeled was all done in the name of Christ during Christendom. Secularism is horrible, but Christendom is no better. I, I mean, 
I guess he's stacking all that up during. Yeah, well, because he's saying, you know, like, you know, the the Holocaust happened under secular during secularism, in the you know the all the people that were killed by USSR secularism that the current fad to mutilate children secularism the that the people arguing for minor attracted persons being legitimized that's secularism but he's saying but christendom did all those things first in the name of jesus right he said all done in the same in the name of christ during christendom and so i think he would think like the time of the reformation you know you know you got guys who are trying to bring the scriptures to people in their own language and translate the bible and they're getting killed and martyred because of that yeah um you know you have they're they're getting killed and martyrs in in ones and twos i think but you gotta stack up the whole he's i think he's stacking up that whole okay so he's saying the 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 100 years of secular reign caught up real quick that's what he's saying (laughs) i don't know yeah just wondering that this is that it's that's nonsensical hmm. i mean it it's that's nonsensical that he is that he would straight up say compare the two um i don't i mean i'm not aware of anyone that ever ordered that that ever said that molesting of children or rape was a good thing in christendom um i mean you had I mean, you you had uh, the um, I mean, I like how careful you're being right now. It's so funny. Well, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Is there something that he's referencing? Is does he actually have a referent, or is he just saying like, "Hey, look, people were bad during Christendom too," because I that's think, true. I mean, I think that, he's saying that's that. like. Yeah. But that's like going to the church and saying there's sinners there. I don't think I can trust that. He said, Well, that's kind of the whole point, actually. Like this the fact that there's sinners there justifies the existence of the church because that's where sinners go to be forgiven. That's where sinners go to be restored, and that's where sinners go to be changed. Um so I think though the case and the conversation that's happening right now is let's not go back to Christendom because it really was no different than where we currently are right now. Yeah. Right. Things, and so, things are now the way they always have been. That's so there's a, no, yeah. that's second Peter three. That's how he says when somebody wants to deny the coming judgment, that's what they say. With a judgment that's about to fall on a society. You want to deny that that judgment is coming. When you want to deny that a society's under judgment, you say things are now the way they always have been. I mean, that's literally what Peter says. Um, th- and he says, but don't forget the flood. Judgment, yeah. judgment comes upon a people. Judgment ha- happens in history, right? Judgment is not something that that, you know, that doesn't come upon a people in history. And anyone that wants to deny that judgment comes upon people in history will always say it's not any worse than it was in the past. It's always been like this. People have always been like this. So here's, I think he's actually saying, I think he's actually saying, yeah. So there's no difference between Christendom and, and, and current and secular, secular order. Um, okay. And so, which is a historically ridiculous thing to say. 
So then let's yeah. keep, I'm going to keep going here. The answer to cultural atrocities is not secularism or Christendom. It is a fervent evangelism and prayer for revival. Then more and more Christians living faithfully in a society that take depravity seriously, checks and balances, distributed powers, representatives, democracy, etc. Everything that he said there, except for the part where he mentions democracy, he was just describing Christendom. Representative <laughs> democracy? Everything but the representative democracy. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless he unless he means, um, like, in, I mean, the... Uh, the understanding of um you know royal houses and monarchy and everything was a representative understanding more representative than the current setup um in terms of you know philosophy of of leadership um <clears throat> i mean henry the 8th was more he he henry the 8th was trying harder to be a legal king to be doing things that were legal to be to be legitimate and was he was trying harder to not break the law than our current mm. s- system right and he's henry the eighth like we think of him as one of the worst um and but he would he would have his lawyers you know he would sit with his lawyers for hours trying to make sure that anything that he did was legal um you know and and uh and this is not an argument that Henry VIII was a, the good guy or it's suddenly the, a great, perfect man or something. It's just that he actually believed that as a representative of the people, um, that he that it was his job to make sure that he legally provided an heir and you know things like that. So, I mean, I, I, I think I think that. Go ahead. He doesn't. Re, whoever this is is not. The that second tweet is it a Twitter? Yeah, it's X. Yeah, it's X. Yeah, that's right. Things don't dare so name fast. it. Yeah, don't dare name it, bro. <laughs> I I mis misnamed it. What, what's that called? I, Dead I mispronounded it. <laughs> Dead named it. Yeah, that's what they call it. I I um, kind of it's interesting. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the the second tweet is not a po is not the opposite of Christendom, but it's the opposite of a secular understanding of power, but it's not the opposite of a, of the understanding of power that we should be getting from the Bible or the understanding of power. The under, um, the, the, he says, we need something representative, not Christendom. Well, what are you talking about? That's crazy talk. Um, che- yeah. Checks and unless balances. You've, yeah already bought into the Machiavellian understanding of power. So you think the that Christendom means we get to tell everybody else what to do instead of them telling us what to do, right? If that's what you think, if the rivalry is, uh, if that's where you think the rivalry is, you're actually, he's right. That understanding isn't different than secularism. But mm. Christendom was, had um, at least in terms of legal theory, Christendom was, uh, I mean, it, it was obsessive when it comes to uh, legality and uh, proper uh, proper law, proper order. I mean, when so, so when I, they were no, trying I, to decide what you know, the, when they were trying to figure out which Bible should be in all the churches, 
they got all the legal experts together to have a discussion about what the king had the right to do, right? Um, did, does the king have the right to pay for a translation of the Bible? And they got the legal experts together and said, well, yeah, he does. That's that's within the king's legal rights. And so we end up with the King James Version, not because he translated it, because he paid for the printing. Um and that would, but they they had a bunch of legal experts get together because they were really concerned that the king didn't overstep his legal bounds. Wouldn't that be amazing if we had politicians that were concerned with their own limitations and they wanted to make sure they didn't accidentally do something illegal, even if it was good, right? It was which does does the king mm. do, can you pay for that with taxes or does the king have to pay for it out of his personal paycheck? Like that that was the question because it was getting printed. That, that wasn't what the was the right answer. um well i i think that the so um their argument was that the king has been paying for translations of the bible since the 800s so they um or since the eighth yes it's the 900 ninth century so they were able to go back and find um, a translation funded by the king and and so they said there's legal precedent set um back then and uh, th- that uh, uh, so that he was able to pay for it out of the treasure house. And so the argument was basically that um, the king um, has a responsibility for the because the, the Bible is authoritative uh, in the land. The king, um, as the sec- the secular authority, civil authority, has the responsibility to make it as widely um, available to the people as possible because it's authoritative over them um, and author and authoritative over him. And it's where the limitations on his powers come from. So the people need to know, right? So it's the equivalent of saying, um, civil, so right now you think our civil government should be printing Bibles uh, with, with tax dollars in order for people to be able to have the scriptures. I think so. And, it, and I think that's a completely legit, legitimate, thing for them to do especially if it comes with a um a a preface that says something along the lines of uh you know the here herein lies the uh limitations on our powers and has verses you know that says Mm. this is the thing these are these are the limits of what the government is allowed to do and the bible is it's important for you all to know the bible so that you know how to keep the keep the government in its place and so it doesn't create or commit idolatry. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and, I mean, yeah. this, this is, this is the, um, what was so revolutionary about the Nicene Creed, especially the fact that Constantine paid for all, and they actually the, the fact that Constantine paid to get all of the uh, bishops together. And then they wrote a document that limited Constantine's powers and handed it back to him. And he accepted it. That is part of the argument. Um, historically speaking, right? So the the Nicene Creed put a limit on empires forever and ever. And the, they understood that they were doing that. And so when they turned around and, uh, you know, on, they were paid by, they, they were paid, their travel expenses were paid. Um, I don't know if they were all paid, but I know that Constantine said, I, I will pay any travel expenses for any bishop that can't make it so that all yeah, the bishops can make it. And then they got together, they debated, I think, 18 months, and then they delivered a document that forever made it impossible to have 
Christian empires that had civil authority, right? The, the, <laughs> he worked his, worked his way right out of a job. Huh? <laughs> worked his way right out of a job. And he kneeled down and said, thank you, right? Like he, he received it. Um, he, he split the empire after he, uh, you know, he split the empire into pieces. Um, really? Yeah. So after he died, he split it between his sons. And so that, which was not the normal way to do it, but he began dividing up the empire simply because, I mean, because he real, you know, the, the Nicene creed said there is, um, net there, there is no possibility of a single ruler on earth. The only single ruler is Christ, right? That he is the, the earthly ruler that he's the ruler of earth of heaven and earth and so that that an an empire becomes competition um there's no other uh there's no other place that um, earth can meets heaven than in christ jesus well the emperor had always been that place right well if jesus is the king of kings then the emperor has to not be the king of kings anymore right and that's what an emperor is by definition and so the nicene creed uh, immediately begins to degrade civic empires. And I think that that's what, when the Pope, uh, you know, it starts in the 14th century, his power grab, but it really comes to a complete, uh, it comes to its completeness in the 1500s. It's a multi-Pope uh, power grab. When um, That it's the same thing, right? What is the thing that ends up destroying it? Well, it's the recovery of the doctrine of the church. It's the recovery of the Nicene Creed. It's the, and um, it's the, it's the, re- the recovery of Christendom. Okay. The Reformation is a recovery of Christendom, which is limited powers, which is different, you know, uh, different institutions that have different jurisdictions that have overlapping jurisdictions. It's the recovery of the, uh, the, I mean, the the reason it spread in Latin was because the the original people spoke Latin, and now they're insisting the whole world speaks Latin. With when the original people translated it out of Greek into Latin, right? And and so then they discover they realize, oh, we should be translating. And you have two different, uh, it, two different places where they start the the translation, where they really kick off the translation process. But in that, you really have this. Uh, a return to an older understanding of Christendom where the, Oh, okay. Go Take, for it. Man. Deep. Go for it. I'm here Go. for it. I'm here for okay. all of it, Jason. Give it to me. So you had, um, in the early middle ages, right? 1100, 1200. What you would have is the, um, the Bishop of Rome was said to sit in the seat of Peter, the see of Peter, right? Um, he's the sits in the authority of Peter and whether, whether we agree with that or not, that was just the historical reality. Right. And so he signed his official letters, his epistles is what an official letter from an authority is called. He signed his epistles. Uh, the, uh, the Bishop of Rome uh, from the sea of Peter. The Holy Roman Emperor, who was not the, the Holy Roman Empire, was not a civic, uh, was sort of a civic authority, but it was kind of an overlapping civic authority. You had 
um, an emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, but he didn't have ruling powers in the same sort of way that Caesar did. It it was um, it, it was it would be something more akin to um, the United Nations if you had kind of a Christian Christian United Nations. Um, the the Holy Roman Emperor was that Christian United Nations or uh, League of Nations. You know, the, the League of Nations was a secularized version of the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. The, the Holy Roman Empire made it almost to the 20th century. It it fell apart right at the end of the 1800s. Well, he signed his epistles from the seat of, uh, of Paul, right? So Paul didn't have a bishopric, but he received his authority from God. Uh, uh, but he was outspreading, you know, he, he was the, uh, wasn't in one particular place, but he was outspreading, um, abroad the good news. <clears throat> and, but he also opposed Peter to his face, right? So he was the, uh, and the Holy Roman emperor was expected to keep the Pope in check. And the Pope was expected to keep the Holy Roman Emperor in check, right? They had overlapping authorities um, that were not, uh, uh, that were, they were over the same people, but had over different aspects of their lives. But when one of them got out of line, the other was supposed to um, take care of it. Well, you had so the entire breakdown of everything. The Pope moves from Rome to Avignon, which um, is a which I think has Im, continues to have important that the question of can the Pope move is the Bishop of Rome tied to a location or to a, a, a throne that can be moved to France and then the authority structure pick up and move or is the authority structure of a, a an ordained minister tied to a place we we still have that question, and you know, Baptists and Presbyterians all answer it differently, and um, and you know, non-denominational. We are, we're still asking that same question, and that question immediately comes up. Well, but can the Bishop of Rome rule from France? <laughs> the, he's the Bishop of Rome. Rome. That's a location. Title. Yeah, it's a, it's in the title, right? That's a location that he is. Um, has to deal give with authority so, over. Yeah, given authority. Yeah. So they had, and so then you get a, a, a people that say, well, of course not. That doesn't make any sense. And so the bishop, uh, so a Roman bishop is installed. Well, then the bishop of Rome, who is in Avignon, excommunicates that bishop, and that, and then the bishop in Rome excommunicates the bishop in Avignon, and you have this fight that goes on over can and the the but the legal question is, can the universal uh, the can the the uh, head bishop move his seat and retain his authority, or his is his seat tied to his location? Um, and that question, I think, is is something that we still need to work through. Um, and I think we see this. This is one of the questions I think that is that um, you know secular. Uh, the secularists have answered it by saying, well, can he, where does he, do, what power does he wield? What's his ability to tell others what to do? And that's the, that is the answer to the question. And the, um, I think now Christian nationalists are the ones that are taking the opposite side and saying, well, no, this is a, this is a land deal. 
This has to do with borders. This has to do with succession, you know, uh, citizenship succession. And, you know, so you've got the same, it's the same debate, but now we don't have an authoritative book to go to for answers like they used to. Um, so, <laughs> but, but hey, what that does, the law, though. <laughs> we do, and we have a constitution and um, that, you know, there's all sorts of, I mean, that's, a, I think that's a, it's a debate to have, but we shouldn't pretend it's a new debate. I think we need to say this is a this is an old and it's a harder debate to answer than we like to admit. We like to think this is a quick and easy one, but it's not. But there's um, a lot of people who are just now coming to the debate historically that haven't been there and think that, right. that that they have answers for these questions and they haven't really never thought deeply about this at all. And they're kind of mucking up everything, to be honest with you. I, I agree, but I think it's because we don't have a historical view of legal and illegal right just say Our, we're illiterate just say we're illiterate That's we are we're illiterate we're legally illiterate definitely mm. yeah i you you meet uh, i mean most 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 lawyers i meet are legally illiterate so um but what happens is this dislodgement uh um it it gives the pope in avignon ideas about power and authority that are well beyond um, what the normal limitations of the power and authority of a bishop would be, which is my bishopric extends to this to the edge here. That's where my power and authority is. And then other the other bishops have voluntarily submitted out of um, you know to because uh basically because Rome was the one um, Rome was the center of financial. Um, you know, it was a it was a financial center, and they were using their money early on really well to make sure that churches get planted. That that you know you have um, uh, the you, it's, it's similar to Charlemagne making sure that the schools that there's schools everywhere that you can that you can get an education that that you can that there's a Bible in every church. You know all those things. Um, Charlemagne uh, did that as well for the 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 French Empire, right? The um, and the and so you have this uh, <clears throat> this imperial mind now. You, but suddenly you begin getting this imperial minded pope, right? That he picks his power up and he takes it with him to Avignon, and so the power is now centered in the person of the pope and no longer in the His history office, huh? of yeah. of the of the rome's service to the world right so you were giving rome honor because you know half your churches were planted by rome and the, if your church wasn't planted by rome it was planted by a church that was planted by rome right you were giving honor to rome because of the historical centrality uh that the that the pastor there had played in conversion of people groups throughout the world for centuries well now the power is um is picked up and taken with him and uh you, the so the, so the the i think the ultimate sign uh, of that uh, of that new view of power over against uh historic authority or historic um honor is that the the pope begins signing his epistles or his official um documents from the see of peter and paul 
So now the there isn't a sea of Paul who is supposed to stand up and rebuke Peter to his face and put the Pope back in line if he ever gets out of line. He takes that authority to himself as well. And so suddenly what you have is um, a single uh, a single authority with it which is pulled away from history, uh, pulled away from the historical narrative and centered instead in a person. Um, now that is what ends up becoming the papal infallibility question. It ends up becoming, um, can the Pope have a standing army, which he ends up uh, starting a standing army. Um, he, he has assassins on staff, um, you know, th- that sort of thing. And you, uh, he, he, the Pope shortly after that, you get a Pope that tries to position his illegitimate son to become the next Pope. Well, he's supposed to be celibate though. And so, but he wants to turn it into a, um, into his lineage is the papal lineage because right so the view of what the power of the the bishop and the church and all of that all of that shifts and changes um during that time and so you end up uh with a with a christendom that's unrecognizable within a couple of generations um and central to central to that is this new understanding of power. Now, unfortunately, I think that is that's actually the root of the the Enlightenment, right? I think that the Pope moving to Avignon <laughs> ends up becoming the root of the Enlightenment. If you trace it through, you get a new view of power. You get a new view of authority. You get an ahistorical. Uh, view of things uh, and so you, you it breaks start the to, fifth commandment it, ultimately right it, yeah it it well it dislodges the fifth commandment from reality right, right. so so it's so it, it's like um you know if you have a dad from montana that wanders into town and starts insisting that all of the children in um, seattle give him honor because you honor fathers you honor and and you say well no it says honor your father right that's a historical question you're honoring your authorities that frees you from having to honor all the other authorities right i don't have to um honor you the the all the other authorities in the world the way that i honor the ones that are my authorities um but the if if he has an army standing behind him that all pulls out guns, then, you know, pretty soon everybody's kneeling and he says, see, this is the fifth commandment being honored. So we'll know this is power and coercion. It's a different understanding and view of power. That view of power ends up combining with um, a particular side of the Italian Renaissance um, because the Pope does eventually move back and there's a, a the the italian renaissance is a mixture of what you might call secular gnosticism and um christian platonism or a restoration of uh of christian philosophy and uh, uh and it the italian renaissance eventually splits into a two two renaissances one renaissance that becomes more and more christian and one renaissance that becomes more and more secular and that papal authority in italy ends up combining itself with the the secularizing renaissance and becomes the enlightenment 
So that's a long answer to your question, but um, you know, secularism sneaks its way in to and is the thing that undoes Christendom, and so you don't have a clean secular Christendom break. Divide you there. have secularism yeah. growing Inside within of... Christendom, um, and all sorts well, of things done in during the time and the reign of Christendom, but in the name of seculars. You kind of get that in America too, though, don't you? Because when you look at the colonies, the colonies are very Christian focused. You know, um, the first secular colony was Rhode Island, wasn't it? Like they were secular. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but everybody right, else. Yeah. I, right off the bat, too. Right. Right off the bat. Yeah. That, yeah. They were clearly secular. But before, I mean, I mean, 1777, was it? I mean, you had people who were sweared into office with basically believing in the triune God, um, you know, it was essential that. And then like the year later, you start getting this, okay, we can't have any of that. <laughs> uh, you know, so, it, and it, I think Gary North does some work on that. I haven't done all the, the research that he's done, but I remember he reading some of his stuff talking about the reality of that. So you get secularism that kind of merges itself inside of America, kind of the same way we have that that kind of reality, which is what we're kind of fighting right now in some ways, right? Um, so I wanted to go back to something you said earlier because I think maybe we agree, but how it how we get there is different. When you said that part of, and I think this is what some of the people who are communicating on the side that Christendom and secularism are any different, they might be pointing at what you pointed at, which is like if you think that it's just Christians who um, get to tell everybody else what to do. You said something like, then, then you have it wrong. And when you said that, I was like, but we kind of do though, right? I mean, Christen, Christians themselves are the ones who disciple the nations and the people to understand how they should be living in God's world under God's law and how they need to be treating each other, right? They're the ones who are the disciples of the nation. So in one sense, um, Christians really are the ones who have the answers for the rest of the world to engage. Nobody else does. Yes, but there are two. There are two different ways to approach that. One. Um, so are we just talking about application at this point? Yeah, I think we're talking about. I think we're talking about a different. Well, I don't know if it's differences in application, but what I would say is, um, you know, when that when Micah says uh, that the law is going to spread throughout the world um that he uh, that he describes it as spreading throughout the world um in people right that the law so that the that the process to uh that the process of getting to good laws um is the the law actually flows from heart to mouth to heart to mouth to heart to mouth amen amen and then amen. and that's how it ends up spreading right so it's not the the law doesn't uh, the law is, um, you know, the the way you're talking about the law and I'm talking about the law, the law comes in as good news. Here is what it looks like to live life rather than live death. Right. 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 Um, and that spreading of the law, um, it doesn't, it happens in a converting a wave. Um, right. And, it, and it, it's, I, and I call it waves because I think it comes in, like the tide wave comes up wave goes out 
next wave comes up, it's a little higher. Wave goes out. Next wave comes up, it's a little higher. That's and that's that's just from studying history, right? You see um, that the. You I mean, think, I agree with you. I, I just think about Alfred, and it's like, well, that was an interesting form of conversion. <laughs> but it, but it was right. Like he didn't the um, the you end he he gets saved, and he says, "Okay, we're going to transform this place. Let's let's get to it." <clears throat> and he starts by saying, "Okay, which of you, which of my lords can read?" And he looks around, and he says, "Okay." The, um, the ones that can't read, you need to hire somebody that can read to be your perpetual assistant, and you're not allowed to come into court without them because mm. I'm going to be because we're going to be doing book studies. We're going to be doing. Uh, you, you're going to. Ha- I'm going to be handing out copies of things, and you need to be able to open up and follow along, right? And so, th- so his transformation. Um, he didn't lose any of the lords along the way because he made sure that their hearts also, or that their minds minimally were um, in line line with, with the transformations as they were made. Right. So there's a really great. um, Don't give me another book. It's out of, it's out of print and um, I'll find it. What is it called? So it's, uh, it's, it's called um, King. I think it's just called King Alfred and Boethius and it's King. It's, King Alfred's translation of Boethius, but it emphasizes all the places where he brought Boethius in line with English law. <laughs> right. So it's right. it's him having an active conversation between Boethius and English legal English legal theory. Right. And and um that was a he he once that translation was made a copy was made for every royal house um so every or every uh uh noble house and so every noble house then had to have a a, a copy of this and the they had to familiarize themselves with it and so then if he, if the children were not being trained up and being taught to read um then they then uh you, you couldn't keep your seat uh, um your your seat in the house of lords your your seat i mean what ends up becoming the house of lords later is what they end up calling it it wasn't called that yet but the 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 retention of your seat in the house of lords your family's seat in the house of lords required that you taught your sons to read right mm. so um he so that's that's him thinking about the transformation long term right he doesn't come in and uh, so now he he does say here is where we're start. Here's here's the legal aspects. Here's the legal traditions that you guys need to be familiar with: Deuteronomy, English law, and Roman law, because all of them have been, um, have have been uh, at at one point or another, they've been the law of the land of England, and so that's where we are right now. Right? This is at, we're kind of restarting the legal tradition, legal tradition, because but it was because of war right war kind of dissolved everything you had had seven kings now you have one because that was there was only one king one uh lineage that survived the war right it, so it, it wasn't like um it, it they they had they were recovering from almost being conquered which is different than somebody coming up and saying i'm going to conquer all the kings around me 
right? Although that happens historically, that happens sometimes too. Um, you know, that was, that was how Charlemagne ended up uh, with the authorities that he ended up with, and that's just historical reality. Um, some, you know, sometimes in the past, people were just conquered. And that's how they ended up with the ruler they ended up with. <laughs> this, um, so I, I don't know. Did I did I answer your question? Uh, now I'm. Yeah. No. 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 I. There was. I'm just saying. There was a point though that Alfred, as he's as he's you know defending and conquering, he's like, okay, if you're gonna come into my nation, you can. You have to swear allegiance to Christ. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 If you want to stay. Right. Yeah, if you yeah, want to stay, there was so... a there was a whole group of pirates that were given the uh, the option of bapt you you can get baptized, swear allegiance, join us, um, or you can go, you can leave. Now that's that is I think an example of an improvement over um, a, a Charlemagne who was ba- get baptized or you can die. Sword, yeah, sword, yeah, and those were. <laughs> Those were um, prisoners of war that he did that with, which I think doesn't make it better, right? I think that makes it worse because we've got laws about prisoners of war. And his um, his local priest wrote him a letter explaining to him why what he had done was wrong. Alfred had a copy of that letter in his personal effects, and that's why he did what he did. Right is because he was taking the advice of Charlemagne's uh, spiritual advisor, <laughs> and said that Charlemagne didn't him. take. Right, you should yeah. have killed him. So he was like, "Okay, all right." He's like, "But I, but they're I, the you know the pirates or the 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 Danes." It's like, I, "It's I can't keep them here, um, just without joining, without becoming citizens." Right, I can't keep them here just indefinitely because the um the 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 relationship between a land and its people is a particular relationship they can join us right and then the they, they become us become us right and it and it is going to take time and integration and all that but it it worked um but <clears throat> and i think that particular situation with the dane laws and everything that informed America's earlier understanding of immigration that we that it and it doesn't inform our current understanding of immigration right? because of the rivalry between the left and the right our understanding of immigration um, is if we bring people in does it give up give me power or take power from me if it takes power from me I don't want anyone coming in if it gives power to me open the floodgates right and and um rather than saying what's best for the immigrants <laughs> which is what what's best for the immigrants what's best for the people what's best for the the nation what are those sorts of questions are the ones you should be asking um so it, uh they they understood that if you bring people in and make them citizens at, you know you get a generation maybe two of of little italy but now you go to little italy and it's just like the rest of america you know it's the same thing with uh, you you bring in, you bring in Chinatown, um, and everybody becomes citizens, and it works really well. Once they become citizens, if you keep them from becoming citizens, they won't integrate. Uh, but and, if they're not, but so then if they're not coming here actually to be citizens at all, then you have another problem. A whole right? other problem, right? Yeah. That, and that's what 
And that's, but that's where, that's what, what, because it's been a fight between the left and the right, um, because it, we think of it as a power struggle. Does the Democrat party or the Republican party gain ground with this move? Um, rather than thinking what's best for the nation, what's best for the city that it, that this is happening to, um, and what's best for the immigrant, right? It's not good to become an immigrant, to, to come in as an immigrant with no way to citizenship because you don't have access to the legal system. You don't have access to all the things that, that you need to be able to live an honest life, right? If somebody's going to be able to steal your house and you can't call the cops because you're not a citizen, then uh, or rot, you know, rob your rot, then you're not in a good situation, right? That we we need to make the the pathway to citizenship clear um, for, uh, for for the sake well, of the immigrants. I mean, so this is what I, De- Deuteronomy ten tells us. I'm totally Deuteronomy with you on that. I'm, you <laughs> yeah. know, you you speak in my language. You start bringing up Deuteronomy. You know, I'm a theonomist, so you know, I gotta love that. Mm-hmm. But but there is a point where someone who is there illegally and hasn't done the things they should do to go about the process of gaining citizenship is not going to be in a good place. The law is going to apply to someone stealing from them as well as to them not being there legally. It should, but it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Well, then I, but I have no problem. That's where, where our immigration system is broken, right? Is that, um, that the law should apply, um, equitably. Yeah. Right to across the board but we we don't apply it that way and our immigrants know that right and so they um they're safer joining a gang than calling the cops (laughs) right because they're going to get some form of justice or their stuff back in one way or another protection right yeah so um and that's so but that's that is a problem that's our that's that has to do with our application of the law. Um, But, and we, instead of solving the problem, we, we kick the problem down the road because it, it is, it gives us political leverage. Yeah. You can't, you're not going to grow like that. So then I I guess one, one quick thing on this, because I really want to get to, and I think we're actually having the conversation that, and you know, which is one more thing. Yeah. When you insist on allowing illegal immigration, what you end up with is attracting illegal, uh, attracting lawbreakers. Well, I, I would even say that if you insist on allowing illegal immigration, you've already given up law. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if that's where you are, you don't expect to get order from disorder. You've given up the standard of law, borders, uh, sovereignty. You've given up all that stuff. Yeah. Jurisdiction. Because jurisdiction. All, all when you, I mean, just in the title, illegal immigration. You've already done it. Yeah. You're done. Game over. Yeah. Right? When you're allowing that, <laughs> you're done. But, but there, we also, ha- we changed the path to, we have, ch- I mean, now it, it's been, it's been 10 years since I've looked into this. So I don't even know when I was in California, it was a pressing issue because it's worse now the whole situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is, but I I'm not up. I'm, I'm 10 years. This is my knowledge is 10 years old, eight years old, but it was a pressing issue because w- w- that it was literally my, you know, my town was one of the towns that um, had to deal with it directly. Uh, and, you know, it, 
there were farmers that needed discipleship. How do you deal with immigration, <coughs> immigrants, and you know people I'm hired to pick? <coughs> Excuse me, but um, but the 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 path to citizenship was shifted and changed on the regular in order to keep people off balance, mm. because uh, the uh, the because it was easier to make money um, both for the government and the uh, farmers um, and not so much the farmers that uh, themselves, but kind of the, the system um, depended upon them being illegal so that they could be controlled and manipulated and moved around um, to wherever they wanted. Cause if they were citizens, they had the freedom to say, uh, you know what? I, th- I don't want to pick over here. That guy doesn't treat me well. Right. Uh, I'll pick, you know, we'll pick for that guy. He treats I want to get well. paid more. Yeah. But I, I yeah, they didn't have that freedom. Um, <clears throat> and so they, oh, that's unjust. That is some unjust. It was stuff, so unjust. Though. Yeah. Well, and they, and, and there were, um, quite a few, um, there, oh, there was, there was a lot of like, well, instead of paying the last paycheck, we'll call the ICE and they'll come in and they'll, run everybody off and so i don't have to pay my last paycheck to the pickers and you know that sort of stuff which is evil evil stuff that that's the sort of stuff that god sends a drought over but you know but even to get to that point you've already got some evil stuff going on though right like that's i mean i I, i'm not arguing that that's not evil i think that's horrible stuff that's really horrible that's evil but then like to just to get here and to illegally come through, we've already started a process here that there is no good that comes from this unless we figure out how to manage this well. You know, if yeah. we're, if, you but know. It, and it, but if it has to involve working together, because when you've got the, the people working at the border um, in conflict with the border patrol, in conflict with the sheriff, in, in conflict, conflict with the, local with the governor with yeah. and then in conflict with the local people right and they're all in conflict with one another the what what you see is the that the illegal immigration is a symptom of a broken society of people outside of unity of people outside yeah so you don't you don't have a society um in unity that says come on in or hey there's the borders right we're not nobody we're not taking new people right now right we we can't do that because we're all fighting right it's so it's the same man here's here's a something that just i heard somebody mention um in conversation uh, after you know sitting around sipping coffee together after church this last sunday um in the sanctuary and a guy said you know uh homelessness is a problem but spiritual homelessness is a much bigger problem, right? I haven't quit thinking about it since then and thinking not only is that true, I think that's what God is saying to us with all the homeless people, right? That that a, a city with deep spiritual homelessness, um, a city that has wandered away, a, a city that once went to church but wandered away from Jesus May you is say going to be a about, city yeah. full of homelessness, right? And that's the same thing, I think, with an immigration problem. We should be yeah. saying, okay, Lord, what are you saying to us, right? It's a church, right? The church well, and you know, the, the, the magistrate and everybody. Lord, what are you saying to us with this particular problem? What What do we need to repent of? 
Jason, you know, that's a. I don't. You're, we're going to have is, to this cure is Dan, This is Dante stuff. Who's he? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not I'm joking, but I'm, I'm being serious. Yeah. I don't think the average person would even know who that is. And because we're so full of Gnosticism, those kind of questions don't. There's so th there's a separation between the reality of the world that we live in and the stuff that goes on there from our spiritual realities. Those things aren't connected for us in any way. So we don't look right. at our nation and we don't look at our borders and we don't look at our financial issues and tie them directly to um, our sin. Worship. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So when you look at Deuteronomy God is directly making a correlation between their faithfulness to him and what type of nation that they have. Yep. I mean, from borders to war, to economics, to droughts, to food, to fruitfulness, to children there. If you go through, I mean, you just go, and it's not the first time you go through um, <clears throat> numbers, Deuteronomy, I mean, the whole Pentateuch, like you just go through it and you're going to find out really quickly I mean, the garden, come on, <laughs> like, right. you're not going to, you're not going to be able to escape the reality that this is the real world. And that's why, like, I, so some of the things, you know, I've heard you say many a times, and I'm still trying to put like flesh on this, that the table is the new reality of the world, right? The Lord's Supper, the table, which unfortunately many Christians don't have every Sunday. So then they don't. They hear the call to come to the feast, but then the church, they never get one, which is really right. sad, which is really sad. I mean, I, man, if you go to a church where you don't get communion weekly, you need to go and become the nagging thorn in your pastor's side and say, hey, pastor, do you need somebody to come and make it? Do you need somebody? I'll do it every week. Like, what What do we need yeah, to do? Like, I, what's, yeah, I'll pay we, for it, you know? Yeah, we had... We had um... Yeah, we we had that happen recently, where the um, pastor said, "Hey, we don't have anybody on communion set up this week. I think we may we may have to skip it, right?" Because and and immediately it was like, "Oh no, my family's got it, right? We got we it. Got, no, yeah, we, we got, got it. it. Don't worry about and it. It's good. He, it's good. He didn't. It wasn't because he wanted to skip it, but it, yeah, it's you know the the we had, all of our deacons were out of town. Every single person on our normal setup i was out of town and and but he was like well that wait that's not, that's unacceptable and so we were there setting it up and um but i think it's it's it, it's something that i think we really as a culture um as a people at modern american christians it's something we just don't get we don't understand we don't and because we're not experiencing it. We're not coming to a greater understanding, right? It's starved people don't understand food. Um, you know, it's it's like the when mm. when it was illegal back when it was illegal to you know eat cow in India, for example. You have people literally you 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 would have uh, people would starve to death. You would have you know, uh, a famine come through, and people would lay down and die next to a cow of starvation. That's a curse. <laughs> it is right. And you think we, the cows are overrunning the city during a, during a quote unquote famine and everybody's dying because they don't realize that there's food walking around. 
everywhere, right? So, um, and I think the American church is in that situation um, where we don't understand that we're starving because we've grown up starving. Uh, we have lived starving now for multiple generations. And so we, we're unaware uh, of our hunger anymore. So, you know, the scripture, and I think it's Proverbs, it says that wisdom is crying out everywhere in the streets, just crying out. And it went, I, I started thinking about the, I think the line you say that the world's overflowing reality of God's love. And so that's why there's food everywhere in it, you know? Um, and so God created a world with food, just over, and there's just food falling everywhere. Like, it just seems like, Lord, that's wasteful, you know, but <laughs> it never goes to waste, you know, because it, it does something in for the soil. And then it, it has a whole cycle that it is. So it's never going to waste, but it's just food everywhere. Yeah, and I was and I was thinking, yeah. but that's how wisdom worst comes is to worst. It, it, fe it feeds the flies, you know. Right, but then, but it feeds the ground, and then it feeds the trees, and it goes back and it comes more fruit again. Right, it's a lovely cycle. But wisdom is like that too. Wisdom is everywhere. Right? It is everywhere. It is as fruitful as the fruit in our world that we never get to see, and it's crying out constantly. And and unless we have the kind of ears to hear. Right, like to attend to the voice, like we're not going to be able to to process that. We're not going to be able to eat it, and so that's why I wanted to. So when I brought up the idea of like, hey, we need to go back and talk about the table because we we've been really doing in this last chapter in C.S. Lewis's um, images of of Spencer have been phenomenal, and so I didn't want to detour from that, but I feel like it's a perfect time because after talking about the conference Christian nationalism and having that. Uh, panel discussion that was interesting and then everything heated up again around this concept and i'm like you know i don't mind having these talks and i think we need to have these talks but i think we need to have these talks centered around a particular idea that helps us to actually have a clear vision of man's intent in the world you know, right like i think we're missing that i think we're missing that and so when i asked you i was like man we need to talk about this why did you bring up like an offering of uncles <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, maybe we're going to go to Calvin at a table or something like that. But then you're like, hey, man, you need to read chapters five and six of Offering of Uncles. Yeah. Uh, it's because I, it's a, the definition of what it means to be human is so broken that we don't know what to do with anything in our lives. And the table, I think, is the place, is the, is the beginning of the restoration, right? The, the Lord's Supper, we're returned to our, we're returned to God. And in the process, we're returned to our own humanity. Wait, um, wait, 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 return to God. You have to break that out because when people think return to God, I don't think they carry the same connotations that you just carry with you. And, and I could be wrong, but when you say return to God, you're actually talking about returned in the same way Adam Right, like you're you're saying exactly, historical yeah. return because when people say return to God, that's not they're not having a historical. You know they're not because that's <laughs> no, no. You're right. Having, you know what I mean. You're right. So you, when you say return to God, you got to express what that means. So, um, right, we are built the the uh, the the. It's hard to say primary, um, but I think that this is the this is the right use of primary. The primary definition of being made in the image of God is able to have fellowship with God, right? I think that's the primary definition. Now, there's some secondary things um, that have to do with, I think, language, reasoning, 
um, uh, the ability to uh, experience beauty and some of those things. But I think those are all actually tools um, in the in the, uh, the tools that help us accomplish our primary goal, which is fellowship, okay. right? So uh, the and the do I need to give a biblical justification of that? Here's my bi- quick biblical justification, right? You see in the cre- the creation of Adam, and then you have all of um, him saying, "There's no one fit for me," right? And you've got all of these aspects of of animals that are brought past. None of them are fit for him because none of them can have fellowship with him. And then out uh, in his in at the image of Adam, Eve is created, so now they can have fellowship with one another and a fruitful fellowship. Well, in the same sort of way. You have all the creation of the whole world. So you, that pattern is imitating the pattern of the creation of the whole world. And then Adam created the end. None of the, the rest of the, th- the creation can have fellowship with God. Um, and then Adam is made, Adam and Eve are his image. So they can have fellowship. Now, Adam is his image. Eve is his image. And then Adam and Eve together are his singular image, right? Because the family the society cult you know the um the civic society family and ecclesiology which is what adam and eve are all three at once before the, mm. those three jurisdictions are divided eventually but uh, each of those things in its wholeness corporate aspect can also have fellowship with god uh, corporately so you have a um the image of god in Adam and Eve is fellowship with God. Well, where that does that fellowship happen? It, it happens um, in the garden. And in particular, it's going to happen at the tree of life, right? So, um, and that's why they're kicked out when they sin because the image of God within them is bent, is crooked, is broken now. And so the fellowship uh, that would be made permanent by the tree of, the, of life is, wouldn't be, good fellowship it would be a, a in fellowship or a an unfellowship right so god so, protects them yeah so god protects them from the tree of life by exile right um but now the exile is also a curse but that's how god works right the curse is also because the the, the curses um uh turn out in the in the grand scheme um the curses turn out to be part of the melody of the symphony of blessing mm. uh, so you have uh uh but but you god when he begins restoring the his image to, um to prepare it for fellowship um there's he does it um through food and eating at a distance um but the when they you know so you you begin getting sacraments you know quote unquote sacraments i mean it, it's in the sacrifices the when when there's eating together you know the 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 ritual of it is a restoration of humanity ritual right that through through the ritual you're restored to your primary purpose um and through uh, in the moment and then you have fellowship with god and that fellowship with god is transformative and it's restorative within history over time and we are returned to our original uh, our, our original intent, which is fellowship with God. And then out of that fellowship with God grows 
our three uh our our three roles of prophet priest and king right those are the three roles that humanity has been given um the in the um so the the you've got the offices of and then the offices of of king and priest and husband and wife and are also restored uh along the way as well um and then so that restoration though is all restoration that flows out of the the return to fellowship whack whacking my camera accidentally but the return to, to fellowship to do what when was intended to do from the beginning right so the restoration of everything else to uh, uh, the restoration to our original mission which is um to rule the world right uh a to uh to garden you know, rule the world by gardening it to its original intention right so the to bring the the world into its fullness um that you know to take dominion right that's what dominion is, is to rule the world and good dominion good rule brings things to its to its possibility bring things to its the the po the possibilities of of what a thing is come out of it when it's when dominion over it is um exercised properly right so you know you find um you you know you you find uh let's say uh you know you you find um a river and it's flowing well and you say man there's a lot of energy i wonder if i could capture that the energy of that water as it flows downhill and you build a dam and and you discover look at that water can make electricity <laughs> You know, the power of 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 water falling downhill can make electricity and electricity can then do all sorts of things right you can put the power of a water falling downhill into a battery and carry it around the world and and um a you know a, a tribe uh, of people in the middle of or a city of people in the middle of montana can then have the electricity that they need um, because you can put it in a battery and take it out there. Right. So, um, or put, send it along lines, whatever, right. You're taking dominion, you're taking a thing in the world and finding the possibilities through dominion. Right. So that's one, like, that's an example of what we're supposed to be doing, what dominion, uh, the dominion mandate is well we're restored to that kind of thing um by coming into fellowship with god right the fellowship with god comes first it's by grace through faith um it's covenantal fellowship with god promises he binds himself to us uh and and promises himself to us and then we keep those covenants by faith we come in and we have fellowship with god that restores us to our intention and then we go out from there and we are priests and and uh, you know, priests, meaning we bring the world and we lift it up to God and, and honor him. And we we uh, stand between our, us and our neighbor and we remind them of who God is and we bring God's presence to them and we bring them into the presence of God by prayer, right? There's all sorts of things that, that are our fundamental, um, our fundamental nature that we can't escape. We are priests no matter where we are. We are 
priests that in the priesthood of Adam, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we're doing it as priests. We can be good priests, bad priests. We're going to be acting like priests no matter where we are. The table is where we're, where our priesthood is restored because we we are priested by Jesus into the presence of the Father, Son, and the Spirit at the table, right? The 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 bread and the wine um, uh, are we are fed on the fellowship of the um, of God by the power of the Spirit. Uh, we are lifted into the presence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and restored to our original intentions for the rest of our, you know, for all of Can, the other aspects of our life. You know, you talked about this earlier, and it's, I think people need to have a, a very good understanding of what priests did in the Old Testament is why reading Leviticus is really important. Mm -hmm. um, because then when you get into the, the New Testament and you see what Christ is doing, he's the sacrifice. We all get that. He's the one whose body was broken, right? Um, there was wine in the Old Covenant, but they didn't get to drink it. Um, in the New Covenant, we have the bread that was there, the sacrifice, the, the the body that was broken, but then we get to drink the wine because we are under a new rule, right? We have a the, the king has restored all things proper. And so we have now um we are now under a different um the world has been restored properly, and so ruling is we're 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 in a different place than where we were before. Right. Is that fair? And so, and so when we're, when we're, so the, the priestly thing that's happening with Christ is um, we are able to take part like priests did of the sacrifice that was given as well. There was part of it for them as well. Right. And so right. now the, well, the same thing with us. Go ahead. I, I think, and, and this is where I think just the, when, when we look at Leviticus, you know, and we say the question unfortunately that usually is asked when we get to Leviticus is which of these things still applies and which of them doesn't because yeah. we're actually pretty legalistic, right? right. Post-enlightenment assumptions are all very legalistic, right? So we go in saying, what are, what are the right things and what are the wrong, which, which things stay around and are still obligated to do and which not. And so we spend all of our energy, um, missing the point of Leviticus because all of it is, um, is a visual metaphorical prof prophecy about what Jesus is going to do on the cross. Right. right? It's about Jesus. Right. So when you say, well, which, which of the sacrifices is about Jesus? We say every single one, oh, so, well, which yeah. part, every single part, um, but it's not just the sacrifice. Every the priest is also Jesus. Right. Every action that the priest does is something fulfilled in the cross. Every right. Um, and then the uh, so and, and then we're told, and now you're a nation of priests, That's right? Priest, so everything right. Israel does is also a picture of Jesus. So that everything corporate Israel does is a picture of Jesus. Everything the priest does is a picture of Jesus. Right. You've got. Um, we, I think it's all we, about Jesus. I could be. It's wrong. all about Jesus, right? right? The spirit of prophecy. Revelation tells us the spirit, the 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 heart, the 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 central thing about all prophecies is Jesus, right? It's all the in the Old Testament. What's it talking about? It's always talking about Jesus, but it's right. talking about it in allegorical, typological, histo you know, his, um, historical, critical. Like every single one of those, it's about Jesus, right? So it doesn't matter what you're coming to in the in the 
scriptures. The question is, okay, where's Jesus? Now, there are some people that have gotten a hold of that truth and they misplace it, right? And they they say, oh, here's Jesus. We found him here. And um, because they're looking for Jesus under every rock, uh, and you know, and they so you get them, you get something like, um, we'll look every every seventh letter. If you count every seventh letter, then look what it spells or something like that. And you're like, well, right, right, right. I don't think I, I that that sort of thing I don't find particularly convincing that that is intended in the scriptures. Um, the uh, but um. I, I do think that taking the scriptures as they are, reading them as they're intended, if you're not seeing Jesus, you're not reading them as intended, right? If you're not seeing Jesus all over the place, because I think that's what the that's what the Old Testament is about, is it's developing the vocabulary and the um, to be able to explain the fullness of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now, it also is all historical, right? It all happened. I'm, you know, I'm 100% uh, a historicist, um, and th- that's why I had you read chapter five of. Yeah, that was right. really interesting, isn't it? Interesting because he's dealing in a much different context than us. Um, but his and so he's he's dealing with a bunch of people that deny the historicity of Adam and Eve, but want to say, but as a myth, it's still important. Yeah, we do the right. same thing though. I don't think I think we do it in a different way. I think that we deny the historicity of Adam and Eve um, practically, not necessarily theologically. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Like we, so we spend a bunch of time arguing that Adam and Eve are historical, and never ask the question of well, why is that important? <laughs> right. I think he he answers the question of why it's so important that Adam and Eve are historical, um, because we actually get our the our identity from them keep going because our yeah. mission from them right we we get we inherit um we are adams and eves right and and um so much of i think the issues that we have when it comes to the arguments about um for example egalitarianism the arguments they don't take into account the his uh they're ahistorical arguments explain that they're they're not they're um if we're descendants of adam and eve then each man is an adam and each woman is an eve right right that's that is uh so that then the question of the the question of egalitarianism doesn't come up because we're Adams and Eves, right? We're trying, we're, we, we've been given our, our identity, our marching orders, everything from Adam and from Eve. And the, and we try to avoid making the errors they make and, but try to do the things that God told them to do. Um, and, uh, but what we do is we start from um, our current situation and try and say, and try mm. and, you know, work out of it there rather as if we're not historical creatures so we're do, so, beings. so then another way to say that is everybody's looking maybe at um uh the most recent american history and say remember when women used to 
and then say, well, well, hold on a second. Let's go back to the original historical line and say, what was women intended to do? What were men intended to do? And what does that actually, how does that actually play out in reality? Right. What, yeah. What does it, what does it look like to embrace that joyfully? Right. right. Um, be, because when the, when the question of, I mean, I just saw somebody try and say, uh, they said, look, Paul only mentions women not preaching twice. Um, and so if we could explain those in their context, um, right. then women can do whatever they want. Right? <laughs> it's just funny that in, in one of those, whatever, uh, but in, in that he actually makes an argument of creation, which kind of ruins right. that. <laughs> That's exactly it, right? So, uh, he, and, so and he starts there and, and he's like, well, look, first off, you had this really bad woman in Ephesus that Timothy was dealing with. And so he, so Paul was saying, don't let any, any women teach. And that solves the problem of this one bad woman. Now, first off, what the heck that is a terrible, that, that, that's a, that would be terrible advice. Right. <laughs> we got like, yeah, we got this false teacher over here. Um, well, you know, this false teacher over here that's black. Well, just don't let black people preach. And that solves your problem of, of the false teacher, right? I'm like, going to your com- I'm gonna go back to your comments about Christendom. It's like, well, here's how we'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, right. No more Christendom. No more Christendom. Right. You've got that's that's that would be terrible pastoral advice if that's what Paul is dealing, if that's Paul's advice. Um and uh, but that's not what he says, and we don't have any evidence of that, right? We're reading into the text something that's not really there, right? That's a we we come with our we that's a Gnostic take on the situation where Paul historicizes the argument. He says, let's talk about the order of creation mm. and then the order uh, and then what happened in the fall. Right? The order of creation. Paul was uh, Paul says Adam was created first and then Eve was created. Right. And Eve, then when she was when she dealt with the serpent, um, she uh, uh, she was she was taking you know, the lead, uh, in, and was basically, she, she took the sacramental lead in the, in the situation and she took the fruit and handed it to Adam and, and it wasn't supposed to go that direction. Right. Adam was the one who was supposed to teach Eve because how it worked was Eve was not yet created when they were told to not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. Adam was created first. Adam was given that knowledge and then Adam was told to teach it to Eve that. And so, um, so the Adam was the first preacher in the first church when he was told to, here's the message. Here's the, he's the, he's the ambassador from God to the church, which is what Corinthians tells us. The pastor is, he's the ambassador from God to the church and to the world, but to the church, uh, as well, right? He's the ambassador to the church. And so he has a message from God. Do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God will be back soon. And he obviously did teach her that, but he didn't then defend that message because he was standing, he was sitting or standing right there with her. Well, and she said, well, we were told this, well, she wasn't created yet. So Adam had at least told her that, but then he didn't then defend, uh, he didn't then mm. defend his uh the message 
that God's message, he didn't defend God's message. He didn't take up his apologetic role that he was supposed to at that moment. And, um, and he let at, he let Eve take over the sacramental job. Um, and she went and got the, the sacramental fruit, uh, or the, the, uh, the forbidden fruit and handed it off. Um, whether or not they would have ate that fruit eventually, we know that the tree of life was going to be sacramental fruit. And so she stepped into the sacramental role and, um, and, and you've got the argument about whether she took, you know, whether that fruit was a fruit that was forever forbidden or not, but we know that it was part of the sacramental system, um, right. That the church was, you, that, that first church was told, don't do this yet. Right. So they did do it. Um, but Eve took the, the, took charge or took the leadership role when Adam let her, right? He was standing right there. Right. And so that's why when it comes down, Adam is the one that is um, accused of throwing the whole human race into sin is because he was the, the uh, priest of the garden. He was the, uh, the first pastor. He, he was, did, who didn't defend the message. So Paul looks at that situation and he says, well, we know that we've got a church full of Adams and Eves, right? That's all we got. That's all we got. <laughs> so um, who can fill the role of Adam? Well, it's got to be an Adam. Right. So it's a little like saying. That's uh, really good, Jason. Who could wow, that's just really. Yeah. Yeah. Who, I mean, it's, it's like saying, well, who can be the husband? Well, husband, by definition, first off, has to be male. So. Right. Yeah. We know that limits play. it. Yeah, when kids is gonna play house, they're like, "So who's gonna be the mommy?" Well, it's not gonna be the guy. It's not gonna be the guy, right? That's right. The, that's the. That's whole really good. Yeah, that's thing, really right? good. This is by definition. So when Paul Paul's argument is a historical, uh, is a historic is an order of creation argument, a historical argument, um, and we are tr we try we're trying to dehistoricize humanity in the modern world, and the church has been resisting it. But the sacraments are one of the central places we resist it, right? We resist the dehistoricization of the world because every time we eat of it, we proclaim the Lord's death past until he comes future, right? We pull the past and the future uh, up in front of the world every time we come to the table, right? Mm. There's an order to this thing. Jesus came once. He's coming again. We're in the we're in the between advents, between the first advent and the second advent. We're in between comings, um, and that uh, that's where we are in history. So the 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 priestly duty um, at the table is to hold up to the world that that all of all of history um, is leading from one feast to the final, from the first feast to the final feast. And so then how does that affect, how does the table then start to have an effect beyond that moment in on Sunday? Well, for some of us who actually have communion, yeah. for the rest of them, I feel, I feel bad for you, son. <laughs> I got 99 <laughs> problems having communion day one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, uh, but how does that, because seriously, like I hear you and now I have to somehow say, so now when I walk away from the table, what is the duties? What is that communicated to me in the function of life on a date till the next week? Yeah. Well, I, first off, the, the, the markers of 
our life, our the 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 life markers, um, are word and sacrament, right? So life the, markers, uh, life mark, like the the um the 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 measurements of life of our life, right? So um, we live from Sunday to Sunday. Okay. Right? We, okay. We are we are. I think a good way to put it is Creations we are weak, we are yeah. well we are weekly creatures weekly uh interesting right? so so god the um the world has all kinds of uh, all kinds of uh time clocks embedded into it right we've got the yearly clock of the stars we've got the daily clock of the rising and setting of the sun we've got the monthly clock of the moon the the world has clocks embedded within it right but god told us that the clocks of the world are not our primary clock that the week is the primary clock and it is not a it doesn't have it's not embedded into the world right 7 days is not embedded into the world we have to count 7 days right now there are seven wandering planets and i think that God is telling us that we are by with a seven day calendar. He's telling us that we are um, created for fellowship that goes beyond the the world, right? That we, that, um, but, but you're saying that there is no natural order where we see seven, as far as a cycle, it's something it's a cycle, special revelation. It's special. It's special revelation that is, but it, it's, yeah. It's, so it's special revelation that tells us, um, who we are. Here's your primary, here's your primary meter. Your t- time meter is a week, but a week, a week doesn't line up with anything. <laughs> right. So, so we are, um, we are more than natural um, mm. beings. Right. And we're told that every, in that weekly cycle, right. The fact that we have a weekly cycle. Um, I mean, you, that we don't have seven fingers, right? We have 10 fingers. That's why every time that they try to, every time that the modernists tried to change the calendar, they it's tried to make 10, it either yeah. five day or a 10 day calendar, right? They yeah. tried both of those. Um, and they said, but cause that makes sense. We've got five fingers. We've got 10 fingers. We, um, we, we have root 10 math that we do everything by in the modern world, right? Like we, um, the, the metric system is root 10 uh, math, run amok and you know used for revolutionary communist purposes right we've got all of these attempts to dislodge us from our the, our human nature and god and as weekly creatures mm. creatures that are for be more than this world can provide right this there isn't anything in this world that will give us ultimate satisfaction and the weakliness of us is one of the signs that points us beyond, right? Um, I mean, this, uh, does that make sense? I'm no, 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 no. That's really good. But so I don't, I want you to go ahead. Go ahead. I I know I'm saying, I'm saying something crazy. No, no, no. I don't think so. I think that makes sense. I don't think that's good. If you've been listening to us for long enough, I think you're tracking. Yes. Somebody who hasn't been listening to us long enough, you need to go back and listen to the show from, (laughs) you got a lot of work to do. On the it's, calendar, we're, we're not catching up for you. And, yeah, 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 yeah. We're not catching up for you. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you because you said this uh, before. We're tracking. Yeah. So then, go ahead. But that the heart of the weakliness is the 
a deep fellowship with God, right? Mm. And it comes in two ways. It comes in, um, it comes in the sermon and it comes to the table, right? The fellowship with God, God speaks to us particularly, and he speaks wherever we are. He speaks to us individually, right? There, there shouldn't, this is one of the things that bothers me about piped in sermons. Um, and I know sometimes it just has to, you know, the, 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 this is the original book of common prayer um, and the books of sermons that was because he couldn't get ordained pastors fast enough when the English church was growing, um, you know, planting churches faster than they can ordain ministers. And so I understand that sometimes, sometimes that happens, right? So you, you have to have a, a sermon piped in because you can't get uh, people trained fast enough. And, but it's not the ideal because we don't, we, we serve a God who speaks to us in particular places and particular locations, right? This mountain and every mountain becomes a place where we have personal fellowship with God, right? The fellowship with God is not general. It's personal and it's personal in two ways, right? The, that sermon was for you, right? The one that you showed up and listened to that sermon was for you. Um, we, and we take it by faith. The, this this sermon is for me. Um, and sometimes you're like, I don't, I don't quite get why, because I didn't see how that would apply to me, but I know it was for me and, and, you know, I can meditate on it and think on it. And, but um, I saw a great quote yesterday um, that our pastor put in our bulletin uh, from, uh, oh, from uh, one of the tr early translators of the English Bible. I can't remember which one. Um but it said the uh, water puts a dent in stone, not by violence, but by consistency. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Something along those lines. Um, I've seen so, that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great quote. Uh, and what's, and that's how sermons, that's how sermons work. Right? There are certain ones that stand out, but it's really the consistency of a weekly sermon where God pulls you into his, into his house it calls you, draws you into his house um, by the public call and by the private pull of the spirit, right? Both of those things working together. You show up and then over and over and over, you hear a personalized message from God to you. It is Jesus's voice. It is Jesus's, Jesus's voice in the sermon that you hear. It is the ambassador of the kingdom of uh, the king of kings shows up with a personal message from the mm. king to you, right? That's why it's so important that the, that the uh, pastor is studying the scriptures, right? And knows his congregation and you know, all that, right? So, and then um, after getting a personal message, you sit down at his table and he feeds you. And in some sort of mysterious spiritual, capital S spiritual way by the power of the Holy Spirit, he communicates himself in fellowship to you. And, but this happens all the time, right? This is why as fam families that sit around the table and eat together um, are closer, right? Because food binds us together. God built a world where priests offer one another sacrifices. It's, it's chicken. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's cheeseburgers, it's pizza, whatever it is, you know, it's brownies, whatever it is, priests and offering one another uh, sacrifices all the time that oblate one another towards each other, which is the well, 
and 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 Jason, the verb like, that of a of priesting oblation. As you're talking, all I can think of is the children of Israel. Right, they are eating this bread from manna, yeah, and they are drinking from this rock, and it's like, but they're eating Christ, they're drinking Christ, right? And so, and 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 yet, Paul says, and that spiritual food and is right. spiritual, and so he's making the connection there for yeah, us well, that we, we don't go ahead, and and when the and and all sacramental food is manna. Right, right. Once we once we get manna, everything else we eat, meet in God's presence is manna too. Right? It's pull it, the manna suddenly becomes, you know, a central, um, and and I. This is why poetry is for adults, because if you have a scientific anti-spiritual anti-poetic, I guess I would say mindset, then if I say something like that, or you hear something like that, you say, well, is it manna on the inside or manna is the accidents stay the current bread, but the internals become manna, you know, the, the essence becomes manna or hey, how is it manna? We say, and if I say, well, it's metaphorically manna, imaginatively manna or something, they think that means it's not really manna, but that's because we have the wrong understanding of reality. We don't realize that we are, we are, living in a place that was that is built out of a six stanza poem is made of poem right we are creatures that pick up and eat things that are made of poetry um you know when you 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 slice an apple um that is you know it's 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 just another stanza in the poem and then we eat that poem and that we survive on poetry and I and I mean, can I say I mean that in a literal sense? Does that make sense? You just did <laughs> literary sense, literary and literal, right? Um, with our well, I think it is. I mean, I don't. Yeah, go ahead. It, it's a, it's a met. There's a there is a metaphysic that is lying, like a a cougar, um, up on the on the shelf above us on the the shelf of rock above us that is just sitting waiting to pounce um, and and devour you and drag you away from Jesus. There's a metaphysic that, that just lives in your head um, that, that lives in your imagination. That's waiting to drag us away from Christ. That um, that's a material, a, that there's a divide between material reality um, and meaning. Right. There's a divide between history and meaning. Right? That there, that there, that meaning is something that we supply to reality, but reality is cold, hard, dead stuff. Or reality is, um, is, uh, matter and energy moving through time. You know, it's something like that. Um, and then we supply the meaning to it, and it's that that metaphysic is one it's unproven it's assumed it's brought to 
the the situation it's not derived from the situation um and then it is uh just false right um it's and it's as much in the conservative camp as in the liberal camp right it's, um we're all youngians in one it, sense yeah that's in one right. sense right he 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 won the metaphysics debate And it goes so, back earlier than him. But anyway. So, but but you brought that up because you're trying to say that's how we come to the, the table. That's, that's how we come to the table. And that's what puts distance between us and Jesus at the table. That's why we side-eye the table um, as as modern Protestants. We, the Protestant, you know, the Protestants didn't side-eye the table. But modern, modern Protestants, we side-eye the table because we've got this metaphysic that uh, keeps Jesus at a distance, right? Jesus says, hey, come sit down. And we say, no, we just want you straight. We don't want you deluded by by bread and wine. And he's like, mm, so, I'm offering myself to you. But doesn't, so doesn't the table work, even though that we might not understand that, right? I, I think there's Absolutely. a lot of, so that's one of the blessings of the table, which is why I think we need to be having communion weekly is that it works on us even though we think we're working on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's where that's why, you know, we come to it with faith. Um you you and but even if we don't understand it, you know, we still come to the table. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh the I um when I officiate at the table, I like to say, come now and eat with Jesus. Um as a way of the, you know, at the invitation, because I think that's what people forget they're doing. Um, so there, there, I think there's lots of different invitations historically that are, are wonderful. I mean, I, I love using, you know, I love using the, the prayers of, of previous generations all throughout the service um, because we're, I think we're a historical people, but I think sometimes you also have to say, what is the, thing keeping my people from faith what's making that's making faith difficult i guess um in this situation and 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 make sure you're hitting it regularly and i think that's the thing that we have a hard time believing is that god is meeting with us at this table he's having fellowship because we get so distracted and we and i've heard i've heard I hundreds and hundreds of times a pastor stand up and tell you exactly what's not going on at this table. Right. <laughs> exactly. But it's rare to have anybody say what is going on, right? We're, we're so worried that somebody's going to accidentally um, have a little popery in their hearts that we um, guard against that. Uh, when we don't have this, we don't have the metaphysics that makes p uh, popish temptations, uh, a, a problem, but we have an opposite problem, opposite temptation. Um, it's the same with baptism. I've heard so many sermons about what baptism isn't, but nobody um, really identifies what it really yeah. is. That's very hard to find. So, so coming to the table, oh, we, have, we don't have a whole lot of time to do this last part, and I hate to rush this part because I think we need to do a whole other thing on this. Coming to the table restores us back to Christ and His work right, has restored us back to fellowship with him. Mm -hmm. That has 
atelios, right? That fellowship actually works itself out um, in real time and space outside of just that moment. So, and that comes mainly in our priestly duty. So what does it mean to be restored, right? What does it mean to be restored to fellowship with Christ? Because I think a lot of us are like, yes, we agree with that. And as soon as we start putting legs on it, everybody gets funky because I don't think anybody can put legs on restoration with Christ and fellowship and not have an ecclesiology. I think that's impossible. I think as soon as you do, then you are your ecclesiology is working itself out immediately because some are going to say we're restored to Christ and then he's getting us about this joker. Right. Yeah. And some will say, so we're restored to Christ and we have this spiritual relationship with Christ and we can do some good things while we're here, but it doesn't restore us back to Adam intent, right? There's a limitation on what restoration in Christ means. And this is where I want to get to the priestly duties of, of that man has in that restoration, because I believe that that restoration has restored us to fulfill what Adam failed to. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the the whole point of kind of the cycle of Romans six, seven, eight, right? Mm. That in our baptism, the 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 old man Adam is gone, and the new Adam becomes our head. Uh, we die in our baptism and and are raised with Christ, uh, and then it says, but it's not that the sin is is gone right that we still are struggle with sin and and right. then we spend our life wrestling and you know in the Romans 7 wrestling um against sin as as the because now we're in this rest restorative process um and what what the law couldn't do which is make right. us obedient to the law the rest our restoration and fellowship in Christ does right we end up doing the things that we are told to do in the law um even though the law couldn't bring us to that um Christ's can because the fellowship we have with him restores us to our original intent right the law is a, it's a lot of things but one of the things is it's a description of how Adam and Eve would have lived had they not fallen right that's um part of what the law is. It's a description of life um, with, uh, that isn't ruled by death. So, um, the and then you get to chapter eight with where you've got all of the, um, w- you know, w- the love of God affecting us when it turns us into more than conquerors, right? So we're more mm. than that, right? So we're, we actually end up beyond the, um, the dominion uh, the immediate dominion that Adam and Eve would have had were more than conquerors. We're more oh, that's than really good. Straight. Yeah, because it start does, does eight start out there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who don't walk after the flesh. But yeah, that's yeah, that's really good. Spirit, yeah, yeah, right. So the spirit. So, yeah, so that it's it's talking historical the historical effect that our baptism has uh, on us as people. Right. That's six, Romans six seven eight. Um, so we become because there is now no condemnation, and this is the, this is where this is why I think um, there are certain folks having the civics debate that get the cart before the horse, 
right? Because we actually need the fellowship with God uh, and the, 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 uh, to remove the condemnation uh, in order to restore us to the things that we're supposed to do, like become law keepers, right? We, you don't become law keepers by means of the law. And if God's law can't do it, how much less is civics law going to be able to do it? Right. right Man's yeah. Law, right. Um, the it, it's, it's the same with parenting, right? If God's law can't make your kids righteous, how much less is your uh, yeah, the laws, your laws that you make up going to make them able to obey the laws, right? There has to be something uh, else. Oh, but we'll try. That, right? The Pharisees did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We it's that that's something embedded within us, um, and that's a first commandment issue, I think. But that's mm-hmm. a uh, but <coughs> what you have, but so. Um, but that that movement from forgiveness to um, more than conquerors, right? From the the condemnation being taken away, that 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 movement, Romans seven tells us, is a movement that happens over and over and over throughout our lives, right? It happens that um, that because of the continued presence of indwelling sin, because of the the rest the wrestling of sanctification, we have to come back to the table. We have to come every back week. To, to, to every week, right? And be because yeah. the, at the table there's no condemnation, right? Mm. So you come into the presence of God in the movement of a uh, of in the liturgical movement. The, the presence of God, the holiness of God in His presence reminds us of our sin, and we confess our sins, and then the the public declaration of our forgiveness is made. It, um, th- it because of the institutional authority that the church has to do that and then the um now as as people without sin we come to the table and there's no condemnation because our sins have been forgiven and wiped away because of the work that christ did on the cross so um there's no condemnation there and we so we walk out restored to our more than conqueror uh position right and then you know we the the we are mired up and we and throughout the week we learn in in the service we learn that we can come to the lord over and over ask for forgiveness we can ask our neighbors our families our friends for forgiveness extend forgiveness to people um we would become a forgiving people throughout the week because of the forgiveness of god um but we need to be returned to that place of no condemnation right we need to come back to the table and be reminded we're in the family where this is who we are this is we've been adopted is, is, no it fair to, is it fair to say that that would have been something, maybe not the, the in the exact same way, like the condemnation part, but that was going to be something that was already built into creation to do anyway, right? Adam was always going to come and have a meal with the Lord on the Sabbath, right? That was it. That was always the case. And so something that hasn't, go ahead. Well, and I think they would have grown in their dominion in this in a similar sort of way right so come back and say man i'm we ran into these to these creatures out here and we're really struggling lord we don't quite know what to do um with these big dinosaurs Mm -hmm. or you know or whatever like how do we you know um and (laughs) and uh got gotten advice and you know um Oh, that sort of thing, right? Like, I think we would have. What do you come do with back... this yellow stuff? This yellow rock. <laughs> <laughs> how? Yeah. How do we? Uh, yeah. The, um, so <laughs> I, I, mean, I do think I do think that there would have still been a historical progression 
of Dominion. Uh, that that it would have you know that we would have had to be had ha- had to be something like that. And you know there there seems to be some sort of evidence that before the flood there was technological advancement that was destroyed and we were set back um, again and you know things like that as well. But that's weird. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I guess I guess <laughs> if you can build an ark. I mean, I was just at the Ark Encounter. I don't know, man. Like, if we think so primitively, like, that's what it was really interesting. If we have such a primitive, prehistoric uh, concept that was like, those guys were nearly as intelligent as we are now because they didn't have all the stuff we have. But somehow, I mean, what, four guys the built the Ark? I guess you can think all eight of them could have. But, I mean, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, I looked at that Joker. Ain't no way in a hundred years you give me, I'm building an ark with all the knowledge I have now. Like I, I'm it's not happening. Not no, for me yeah. anyway. Um that's some of like, the evidence that there was some sort of technological advancement. Don't you even yeah, don't you go down that road yet. We're not ready. That, I, yeah. <laughs> when we when they finally let us in and let us look at the ark on Mount Ararat, I think we'll discover that it was made with power tools. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how did they get electricity? Uh so <laughs> So I was so we're going through this restored place to this priesthood. Oh man, we're not going to have enough time because we're almost hitting two hours. Um, but 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 I, and then we take we we take hold of the re- the world the rest of the week as restored priests, and so we we learn what to so a, a priest know a priest knows what to do with the things he finds. He knows how to lift them up to the Lord, right? So because everything. So okay. kingship oh, without priesthood thank you. That's, is that's a what curse. I wanted to go. Yeah. That's what I was going so, to go to. Yeah, explain that. That's good. So king so dominion without priesthood um is actually a, a curse, right? That that is that's the problem with the Tower of Babel. Mm. Um, they were acting they they wanted to build um the, they wanted to build this tower all the way up to the heavens with um and so what you learn is well they stopped lifting things up to the Lord. Uh, this right. is like so this they, is like Elon been... Musk with BrainLink. Yeah, like, yeah, that's I... gr- right. You know, it's like, oh, good idea. Wait, we. Oh, that's so good. Oh, it's so good. Right. So, oh, you priest... know, what I just did. I go. I'm sorry, <laughs> I got to interrupt you. So, you know, I do uh, T3 on Tuesdays, right? So, yeah. T3 is Technionomy. You got to come on. We got to talk about this. Can okay. You, can you do? Right. Can you do tomorrow? Yeah. This is I phenomenal. Because so, yeah. I I just been oh, trying to put this together. I might be in soccer practice with my. Let me know. Let's let me know your schedule. Game. Otherwise, yeah, I'm gonna do a very butchered job of what you just said. But go ahead. Um, but yeah, so I th- I think the so priesthood the 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 verb that priests do is they oblate, they lift things up, right? And so, um, you know, I, I like to, uh, I, I like to, you know, not like to, but like let's say you're talking to somebody and they're struggling, they're a drunk, right? They're they're an alcoholic. And um, so the and they think, okay, what I need to do is flee alcohol forever. Now that might be the case. May, you know, it's possible that they're never going to drink again. But the the problem was never the alcohol. <laughs> they never say that about sex. You know what I need to do about my pornography issue? Make sure yeah. I never have sex again. Yeah. <laughs> like, Although they yeah. did, they did do that towards the end of the Roman Empire. But that's a another thing. I think they did. It, it was um, wrong. <laughs> that's not the right way. But. <laughs> Um, but you know, let's say somebody says I'm not going to ever drink again, and that and they have to do that, and and you know we can, you know we can serve them, 
you know, uh, grape juice and grape juice, whatever. Yeah. I don't think there's a, uh, we, we can, we're there to help and support and, you know, work through things, but they need to know that the problem was that they, they didn't oblate their alcohol to the Lord. Mm. Okay. Where they were, they were lifting their glass to the wrong God. Mm. If you're listening, if, cause if you're lifting your glass to the I'm right, I'm scared God, to drink my say, water right now. <laughs> say I'm using it in, you know, I'm using this in a uh, service to the Lord, right? I'm, I'm using this as a moment of fellowship and communion with the Lord. Um, you, you're not going to get plastered drunk, right? You're, you're not going to drink you know, a, a half gallon of vodka at once. You, that's what you do when you're oblating your alcohol to a different God. Oh, that's idolatry. That's idolatry, right? At root, Ugh. that's an, it's idolatry. So, uh, it, so. Oh, the, wait um, a second! You just okay. Keep going, man. You just open up a can of worms. So, <laughs> so most of the problems that we have currently right now with how it relates is that we aren't good priests of what God has given us. Right. We're well. We're usually priests to false gods. Oh, that's what. That's what he. That's what. Oh my goodness. So when you go, oh man, there's so much here. Uh, when. They are the song of Moses, and part of the curse happens there. At the end of it, he says, Go get your priest, because they were priests to that God instead of to the true God. And he's like, How did that turn out for you to be right. priestly to false gods? They couldn't it couldn't escape the reality they were going to be priests. It was who were they being priestly to? Right. Interest. There's so much here. There's so much here. Okay, keep going. Yeah, right. So, because but this 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 is what I mean is that behind our sacramental issues right now is a a different definition of what it means to be a human being. Okay, and keep that, going. Right. So, um, when the the debates that we're having about the sacraments, I think the Baptist Pado Baptist debate the debates about um, communion and what it is, what it isn't, whether it's a sacrament or an ordinance, you know, all of those debates. Um, if we would stop, if, if we would take a step back from those debates and together try and come to a biblical understanding of what it means to be human, I think by the time we got to those debates, we would understand which parts are semantics because i think a bunch of the differences are actually semantic differences interesting and which and which parts are substantive and so then we could have helpful debates about the actual substantive issues rather than just getting distracted by semantics and i think we could come to an understanding where we could have uh uh fellowship and actual you um institutional fellowship right our institutions could come together if we came to an understanding of what it means to be human together first right and then we could work out the substance substantive issues because I, I think there are substantive issues but we could work out those substitution subs, substantive issues in fellowship rather than as rivals because right now we we end up working at those issues as rivals so it doesn't even matter right it doesn't even matter if if we're going to argue as rivals, I, I say I say, walk away. Don't have, don't have that argument as rivals. Don't have the argument until you can have it in fellowship. First off, and that means 
that we need to stop and say, what kind of creatures are we? What does fellowship look like? What is our, what is the priestliness of, of Adam mean for our, our lives right now? What does it mean to be made in the image uh, of the spirit? Here's another, here's another one, right? John three, when he, when you're talking about baptism, how often do we say, and remember one of the things that our baptism is going to do is restore us to the image of the spirit, which means we're going to become uncontrollable, <laughs> right? We're going to be uncontrollable like the Holy spirit is. We're going to, um, that our baptism does that. It restores us to the image of the spirit, which means you're not going to be able to, you're, we're going to be a surprise to the, all the, the, the charismatics are like, Come right? on, all the cares. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's uh, a, the, the, the church is going to be uncontrollable. It's going to be surprising. It's going to have things to say that nobody saw coming. And when it stands before Kings, it's going to know what to say. Like all of those things, those are, those are gifts that are given to us um, uh, that are connected, uh, that are connected to our baptism in the way Jesus presents them, right? Well, if we, we, so we need to be saying, okay, well, if baptism is restoring our humanity and one of the things that it does is, I, I mean, I think that's part of the, it restores our, the prophetic nature of what it means to be a human being that builds worlds of words, right? That's one of the things that prophets do. They go out and they call into being things that weren't there. That's one of the things that the church is supposed to do, right? Yeah, so, so all all of this, I think I we don't do get that. we don't get to the substance because we because one we're rivals with our brothers and sisters and we shouldn't be we don't have the unity that we're supposed to have we can't have we don't know what which things are substantive and which things are not and so we end up having the wrong conversations so we 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 need to really get to the prophetic nature of mankind but we have to go to looks walk through Ephesians four together to get to that the restoration of our prophet prophet what, what are we gonna do what are we gonna do because we have C.S. Lewis's book still to finish and are we done with that should we just say okay we're gonna come back to Edmund Spencer and then because that's what's next right we talked about I I kind of feel like man we left Dante hanging out there yeah, yeah I, I would like I would like to do something similar with Dante and work through some detailed stuff on that. What makes him hard for us? What makes him hard to understand? Yeah. So the then same way Spencer was, and then maybe Milton as well. Okay. So then I like this. I like this. I need to recommend if you haven't gotten the book an offering of uncles, the priesthood of Adam and the shape of the world, you got to go get this book. This book is fantastic. Fantastic. And, this is this is what it looks like currently in print. Is it's a, in a trilogy called the Romance of the Word because the the original printing is it's out of print, but it's volume one in this trilogy called the Romance of the Word, and the third one. one, the Hunting of the Divine Fox, is his book. Uh, his book on uh, apologetics that I love. It it's um, is that in that set? It's in that set. Yeah. So it's in the trilogy. Uh, okay, so then let's let's. What well, I think we need to. T- uh, okay, so I think we were we were kind of going down Dante's direction when we said the medieval mind of C.S. Lewis. We started because I had to. You were getting me, un, into a different cosmology to understand um, our guy. But 
So I don't want to forget because more and more I keep seeing it's in Dante. A lot of this is already in Dante. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I but, think I think the solution to most of the problems in our cities is in Dante. Most of our civic problems, Dante has already laid out the solutions for us. Because <laughs> a a big part of what he's doing is trying to he's trying to get Italy to return. He was well, trying to get Florence, I guess, his little corner of Italy. He wants it to ret- the civics to return to Jesus because he thinks that they have turned away from the Lord. And so he, there's a lot of civics stuff within Dante. All right. So are we going to do Father Capone next week then? I, can can we? Capone. I would love to. Yeah, for our Capone. So I said Father Robert. Capone. Robert Ferrar Capone, yeah, or Capone. Capone. All right. Yeah, I think we can because I don't think we work through all the priestly stuff. I, I'm realizing that I don't think in the categories of prophet, priest, king, and I've been talking with uh, David Reese on Fridays for Knox Unleashed, and one of the things that he does is really work through the ideas that, you know, Adam was made to take dominion. In the process of taking dominion, that has three ways that it works out, prophet, priest, and king. And then he goes and so, and it particularly in his home what does that look like to be a you know yeah um and his wife is with where does that do you see that like these thumbs up they're so weird i don't even know where they come from it because it's a motion i got that but i don't know how and where i haven't figured out how to do it i've I've made it happen sometimes somebody is commenting on (laughs) oh is it a motion it's a motion that i did so if you there's a mo there's a hand motion that you can do that causes it to happen. And I've done it sometimes. And then other times I can't get it to do it. I don't know what I just did. <laughs> and now I'm trying to do it. I don't know. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, so oh, I, well, I don't remember. I, I was... Yeah. But I would love, like I've been doing a ton of reading on the nature of humor and the, and the prophetic, the prophetic, the mankind as prophet and the important and the way humor works and how the laughter I think is one of the things that brings the future into existence. And I, I some of these things I we would love talk, to talk through yeah, we, and work through that. We stuff do be, because part of what he does is he lays out prophet. I mean, he doesn't even lay that out. He, he just talks about the, the nature of man being a prophet, but um, or I'm sorry, as a priest, a priest he lays yeah. out a priest and as he does this, he's one of the areas he talks about is language and, and talking about how like language itself is something that is supposed to be lifted up and part of the lifting. And then we didn't talk about this. Part of what it means to lift up something is a form of dominion because you take the raw aspect of it and somehow you make it better than what it was. And then you lift it up to the Lord. Now, are we talking priesthood in the same way we're talking about Leviticus? Because we're saying then... Levitical priesthood, because whatever they're doing with the sacrifice, they're somehow they're doing it in a way that makes it pleasing to the Lord and taking it to take. You see where I'm going here? Yeah, I mean, I think the how do we so, get, how do we get that kind of concept of priesthood from? Let's well, not talk about this. We got to go. Just I'm sorry. They wear linen. It's because they wear they're all, they wear linen. That's how we know. Okay, you gotta say that one for me. <laughs> Anyway, but he, what? what? Uh, don't answer that. All right, let's let's just end on that. 
right, man, this is... As he's going through the oblation of things here, it just, it blows my mind because you start talking about language. I felt convicted. I'm like, I have to get better at words. I have to get better at framing. I have to get better at being a priest. You know, I was so convicted. This is a dangerous book, man. I I was so convicted. I I was like, how do I become a better priest? I probably read it six 